my dad was like, yeah, if you're having memory problems, you know, what, what year is it? And my mom couldn't recall the year. She began to cry. She was really struggling. And for me, that was the moment that everything just kind of stopped. You're listening to the Almost 30 Podcast, a lifestyle podcast hosted by Krista Williams and Lindsay Simsek. Tune in for a new episode every Tuesday to hear our honest conversations about topics like wellness, entrepreneurship, spirituality, and self-development with guests who are really smart, really inspirational, and really fucking funny. (laughs) It's real, it's raw, and it's unfiltered. Inspired by our transition from our 20s to our 30s, we realized it's so much more than that. Our mission is to provide you with the tools, guidance, and motivation to help you navigate any transitions in your life and propel your personal growth. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Almost 30 Podcast. Here we go. Hey, everyone. We just wanted to take a moment and shout out one of our favorite podcasts. There was an episode that was out recently that really um, impacted us. Um, we recently had on Maura Aaron's Neely. She has the podcast Hiding in the Bathroom. You can find it on iTunes or go to hidinginthebathroom.com. What do you think? This it one is cool. Is we just wanted crazy. to like, you know, bring to light some yeah. other women, just to kind of highlight other people. But this one was with Cindy Gallup, who wants to talk about disrupting aging. So Cindy Gallup is a former advertising executive um, who now runs a website called Make Love Not Porn. So she is in the social and sex tech space. So she's really changing how people perceive porn online and the effect that it's having on people. Yeah, and they also talk about ageism and how like it shouldn't just be a conversation for people who are, you know, over 50. It Mm -hmm. should, it's a conversation for everyone because you could be a 25 year old, like, not feeling like you can speak in a boardroom or you could feel like you're 60 and are being replaced. You know, Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of um, points to talk about within that conversation and she does it so eloquently and she's just kind of like shouting from the rooftops. Like she's had so much, so much experience. So you can go to hidinginthebathroom.com or uh, find Hiding in the Bathroom on iTunes. Mora is a force. And if you listen to our episode with her, you will know. And we just want to, you know, shout her out. We love her podcast and we love what she's doing. Greetings. Greetings. Lindsay just ordered genius foods. (laughs) What'd you you order? I ordered um, papaya salad. Oh, that's so nice. And I ordered the fresh, um, like the like we would have gotten at Thai Vegan, uh-huh. but the the veggie roll with the rice paper shit. So good. Anyway, it's 9 p.m. here. We're recording an intro. Hey, guys, if you want to hear what fit models and workout <laughs> instructors eat, listen to this podcast. Lindsay orders. <laughs> Seriously, it's fucked up. And then I was going to go rogue and get like eight dumplings. And I was like, all right, Lindsay, it's nine o'clock at night. You don't Dumplings want, like- are delicious for their texture. Not really for the taste, but yeah, for texture. Texture, man. Texture purposes only. Warm, totally. soft. I've had zero dumplings in my life, but I look at them and I can imagine <laughs> that they're delicious. So I want to tell you guys about some of the magic that's been happening in my life. Mm, Today was us. magical. I've, yeah. So this is where I brag on the podcast. Just kidding. But um, so lately I've been, my mantra before I go to bed is I am a witness to miracles. So I've been really focusing and honing in on 
um, miracles being natural, bringing magic into my life. That was really what I wanted to do in 2018. So this is so silly, but I just know that it was something. So yesterday um, when I was on my way home from work, I um, called my mom and you know she's the most challenging relationship in my life, to be completely honest. And we've been kind of going back and forth on this travel issue. You know, we're going to Montreal as a family. My parents are divorced, but they traveled together. So you can imagine, you know, what kind of, <laughs> what kind of storms are brewing. Um, so she answers and she's like, says something, you know, that sets me off. Like just right away answers the phone, says something that sets me off. And it had been building a little bit. And I've been doing well over the years to kind of like taper that and, you know, be patient and calm. Um, but it's really easy with, you know, paternal relationships to fall back into like old habits. And as soon as I started to kind of go off, I was like, well, you know, and kind of went off a little bit, I lost the call. So the call was lost. So the call dropped. And I just sat there and was like, okay. Like, oh. Took a breath instead. Took a breath. Took a minute. She called back. And I had assumed something based on what she had started to say and based on our past that wasn't actually true. So when when I actually let her talk, she wasn't saying something that was pissing me off. She said something that was like helpful. Mm. And I was like, damn, if I would have just gone with that, it would have completely ruined the conversation. And I was assuming totally. something that wasn't true. Wow. So then it, it was just like such a magic moment. I was like, that was wow. an angel dropping the call. You know what I mean? It was something that was intercepting to like drop that call. Mm. And today I had um, our handy at cleaner. So we use a handy, I use handy app to clean. Um, if you're on our secret Facebook group, I've shared the link. But basically, it's an app that schedules cleaners. Um, and they're usually amazing and helpful. And it's $60 for like a room or for like a one-room apartment. And it saves my my relationship. <laughs> <laughs> and the girl comes today and she is like so cute. She's adorable. And she's just like, I was, she was late and it was fine. But I'm like, hey, how's it going? Like, let you in. She's like, I'm sorry I'm late. I've been having, you know, boyfriend issues. And we ended up talking for like 35 minutes. And I was just sitting there. I was almost going to be late for our recording. And I was, you know, five minutes late. But I was just sitting there and I was like thinking to myself, like I'm meant to be in this situation. Uh, mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm meant to be listening. Any long conversations that I feel like I am fighting with myself over, like I want to get out of them, especially lately, I'm like, whoa, let's let's be here because there is totally a purpose. It's usually with someone who talks too much and I'm like, oh God. But then it turns into something where I'm just blown away. I'm inspired. They needed my help. I needed their help. Like something. That's incredible. It was incredible. The conversation was incredible. She was incredible. It's just being a mirror for people. And I'm not an expert in any space, but like I definitely have compassion for people. Mm. And it's very visible when you're talking to me, you know, when you're in that situation, if you're going to be vulnerable and we're a stranger, the compassion could like help. Mm. You know what I mean? It's just being like a listening ear for someone. It was like, it was just such a good day. I had like a few of those experiences that were just so meaningful and that connection, you know, whereas, you know, I could have walked out on my phone. Hey, got to go. Got my earbuds in. Totally. Texting. Been like, bye. Think of how many people do that. They kind of miss all of the opportunities to grow in like the tiny moments. 
and they just whiz through because they're in a rush because they don't want to hear it because they have their earbuds in because they're looking at their phone. Yeah, that's like actually mind blowing. I know. I actually have been obsessed with the phone thing lately. If you walk around on the street, every person is on their phone. Yeah, it's, it freaks me out. It's really starting to freak me out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's more like and I, I it. see it more and I saw it more in New York because mm-hmm. you just do. Yeah, you see But here, I mean, too. yeah, I mean, here yeah. you see it, of course, but I think it's so like nice out here a lot that like, I mean, I find myself just kind of like looking up to the sky because I'm like, huh. I love that. You know what I mean? But yes, people, of course, are on their phones. Yeah. What do you do? I don't what know. What can we do? What do you do? Should we start a movement? Yeah. What would it be like? put your but then it's hard because no phone festival because I walk for now I try and walk you know to my workout class in the morning and that's my phone time I know it's bad because I'm walking that's my phone time I don't really have a lot of phone time through the day besides like but like you're being productive it's not like you're fucking around you're not fucking around yeah I'm not like looking at shit I don't know it's really hard but yeah so yeah I encourage you to invite more magic into your life and to believe it you know when you see it could be crazy coincidence I think not. Mm-hmm. I um, have been vowing to kind of push myself. I'm, I'm really good at avoiding things that are good for me and meaning like that I know will feel good. Yeah. I just kind of avoid like throwing myself into them. So today um, there's a girl that works at SoulCycle. She um, works at the front desk and she is a singer songwriter mm. and she reached out to me. She's like, I would love to like write with you and sing with you. And like, I don't, I write very not frequently. <laughs> so I was like, oh God, like what, what's it going to be like mm-hmm. if I show up and like, you know, I have something that I've written and what if it's stupid? And she's like, oh, why am I writing? You know what I mean? Just all the things came up. And um, she's just this like sweet, sweet girl. And uh, she, like a few days before, she's like, hey, like I wanted to give you like a prompt, like kind of like, give you something to write about, you know, almost as if she could feel that like I was like hesitating, but like I wasn't to her. I was just internally hesitating. And she's like, you know, I want you to, and I'm going to, to think about something that like um, weighs heavy on you. And maybe it's not at the forefront of your mind all the time, but just something that's like maybe Mm -hmm. for a while has been weighing heavy on you and, Mm -hmm. and write about it. And at first I was like, no, like, cause things are going really well right now. Like in, all areas I feel like pretty in flow and mm-hmm. open and just things are, are mm-hmm. good. So I was like, oh, what? So I did. And I wrote, you know, I wrote about um, some like personal stuff and uh, it was beautiful. And she was like so kind and guided me through the process. And we wrote this song and we're eventually going to like perform wow. it. It's so cool. That's I was so just like, cool. I, I love you for being my little angel that brought me out of like my dark cave of uh I can't and I was like you are amazing she lost her mom five five years ago very suddenly like and she's so strong when she talks about it I was just like whoa there's so much like strength in you Mm. and yeah it was just like nice Mm. and I like disconnected you know I was like oh god like I I had so much to do like Mm. I could I had podcast stuff to do I had other stuff to do and I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this hour and a half and just like mm-hmm. sit with her and like do this. Mm-hmm. It was great. That's all. I love that. Yeah, it was nice. 
Just sing, sing it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a little like this. <laughs> and a little like that. <laughs> My life is so crap. Um, no, it's great. Uh, we're excited today. Let's hop in. Sorry. Do you like it? Listening to us chat. Yeah. I think they'd love it. That's why you're here. I freaking love it. We love you guys so much. Yo, freaking group. Freaking group. Hey, shout out to the Canada Almost 30 group. Oh my God, they're meeting up. Yeah, who? I'm freaking out. You guys freaking out. Toronto <laughs> meetups are happening. All of the the posts that you guys do on your Instagram, you like tag us and you reference people that are in the episodes are insane. I know. And the people who are who are on the podcast and, and get all of these tags mm-hmm. are like blown away. Yeah. It just fills them up. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know, guys. Yeah. Come over. Yeah. Let's hang. Literally. <laughs> We're just here being channels. Yeah. And exciting news. We have Chicago and Toronto coming up. Yo! Yo, as our first meetup. First meetup. All right, other cities, don't get jealous. We're other coming. Other cities, we got you on the list, but these are the, the first ones that are happening. First one's happening. Chicago, Toronto, we've got our representatives and they are helping us plan. Yep, this is really exciting. So stay tuned. It's going to be end of May, beginning of June. It's going to be amazing. June. They're going to be Botox parties. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. just kidding. <laughs> uh. Uh. Um, yeah, we're just so excited to meet you guys. So stay tuned for all of the details. Uh, let us know if you're in those cities, um, end of May, beginning of June. And even if you like can easily travel to those cities, hey. Yeah, and honestly. Parlay the trip. Make yeah. it into something, you know? Maybe yeah. a romantic weekend. Tell your boo you're like, got to go to something on Friday night or whatever, you whatever day. see you later. Um, so yeah, we're so pumped. Thanks for inspiring us to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so today on the podcast, we have Max Lugavir. Max Lugavir. His book is out now. Mm-hmm. It is Genius Foods. Mm-hmm. Fascinating. Best title ever. Best title ever. The covers, covers like, are perfect. Great cover. What the fuck? I you know. see it at the bookstore, you're going to be like, I need that book. Yeah, honestly, you're like, I uh, want a genius. And I Me re- and Lindsay guessed the genius food. So 15 minutes of the conversation, you can fast <laughs> forward because me and Lindsay played a little guessing game. Literally. I was like, what does it rhyme with? <laughs> He's like, me He's like potato. He's like, get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> um, no, honestly, but he was so fun to talk to. He's got mm. a great voice. Great voice. He's a pleasure to listen a cutie to. Cutie patootie. Cutie. Cutie. And Soup's it was just, cute. and we just had fun. And, you know, this, he's, he's an expert. Yep. He's not a nutritionist. He's not a doctor, but he has done extensive interviews and research with doctors, with nutritionists over the last six, seven years. His mom was diagnosed with dementia and he, it, it just like, it's beautiful. The way ignited this it. like, fire, mm-hmm. like seeking knowledge about how he could prevent this in people our age. Start now. So yeah, I mean, it was just incredible. We go deep. Mm-hmm. So this is great for health, nutrition, um, wellness. So we really go into brain science and the effect of diet and nutrition has on your brain function, regulation of all of your um, systems in the body, prevention of disease. So um, we're really excited to go deep with him. So we get pretty sciencey. Um, we get kind of in the weeds, but we think this is a really important conversation to have mm. and a really, really well-paced conversation. Yeah. All right, guys. So join our secret Facebook group on Facebook. If you're not in there, um, we are having 
inspiring, enlightening, supportive, funny, amazing conversations in there mm-hmm. daily. And we want to talk about this episode. If, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. It is so important to us. Um, and it's important, you know, yes, it, we get up in the rankings and that's important to us, but mainly so that we can reach It's important more to us you. that we've been around 100 of top <laughs> overall podcasts <laughs> for weeks now. So we were just next to Rich Roll, which literally tickled, it's crazy. tickled me crazy. Yeah. Um, anyway. I wonder but, if he sees that and he's like, Who's that? I know they're like, who are these girls? He's like, they're inspiring me. <laughs> he's like, didn't they email me 18 times? Literally. Actually, I haven't because I'm too nervous. I'm too nervous. All right, guys, enjoy this episode. We love you. We love you. Share this with a friend. If yes. it resonates, share this podcast as a whole. If you know, you feel inspired. This is how we grow. Yep. And you can connect with Max Lugavir. It's Max Lugavir on Instagram, maxlugavir.com. And the book is Genius Foods. And it is about optimizing brain optimization. So enjoy. And then we will be talking about this in the group. Woohoo. Bye. It's like a hierarchy. Of like- yes. Okay. Importance. <laughs> It's like, welcome, Max. The first thing you need to know is this will be the biggest podcast that you're ever going to be on. <laughs> it might be. First actually. things first. At least the most fun. Yeah, that's true. Definitely the most that's fun. That's true. Were you like, what are they going to ask me about? I've never been... <laughs> on a chick podcast? The meat in a blonde girl sandwich mm-hmm. on a podcast. There you go. So this, this is Here very we exciting. It's we dreams. bring out the mayo halfway through. It's it real weird. <laughs> is it, I hope it's. I hope we're it's, talking genius foods, it's right? Primal kitchen. Yeah. Yes, I was going to ask. It's that. Primal kitchen. Mayo. I do have some primal. Whenever you're ready. Damn. Um, we're in it. We just we just kind of roll. Yeah. We roll. Um, like we're that. so happy that you're here. Yeah. We've so been happy. waiting for this. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. It's amazing. Especially on your book tour. Are you tired? I'm pretty tired, mm-hmm. but I'm uh, I'm drinking a decent amount of coffee. I'm trying to get like my workouts in. Yeah. What do you do for your workouts? I uh, love to, I have a bias for weightlifting. Mm-hmm. I enjoy lifting mm-hmm. weights. Where do you work out at? Equinox. Okay, cool. Yeah. On the west side, where do you live? Uh, wh- like, like what's wh- your address? Give <laughs> <laughs> <Where? laughs> us the deets. <laughs> when, I, when I'm in LA, West Hollywood. Cool. Generally, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I've always been around that area, Hollywood, West Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And then in New York, I live in Murray Hill. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. It's guess, not bad. It's not bad. Yeah, you kind of like Murray Hill. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, everyone thinks think it's, it's like fine. a frat neighborhood. Yeah, yes. it is kind of. Exactly. It's fun, what though. is it? It's like nice. 12th step? 13th step? No. That bar? Is that... T- is that lower? I know what I you think mean. It's Murray but Hill. that that chain of bars, yeah, all those weird names, like Brothers. there's one in every Brother yeah, Jimmy's. There there's, a, there's a restaurant in Murray Hill called the Flying Cock. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's which, one of them. Yeah, <laughs> cock. yeah. <laughs> lol. But uh, they've actually got good. They they have good oysters there. Oh wow, that's yeah. what people say. Hooters, great wings. It's weird. <laughs> I don't know if I believe it. I don't understand. Uh, they're actually great. I, okay. When I was eating wings in my in my past life, when I was, I would with, love to see you eat a wing. Oh my god, it was. <laughs> disgusting but like i'd be like ex-boyfriend babe can we go to hooters and get oh wings? my god you're like i'm the cool girl i'm the cool girl yeah, like, you're like i'm the loser. cool girlfriend i take my boyfriend to hooters yeah he fine. thinks i'm great <laughs> so funny um <laughs> so gross um okay so you're Sorry. back and forth you're by coastal wait That's- let me talk about your workouts what do you do for your workout i enjoy lifting weights um like what i, I always have routine um, you know, I kind of, I used to have a, a more, um, traditional like split, you know, like go to the gym and, but now I just try to keep it as varied as possible. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just try every week to at least hit like push, pull legs, um, big compound movements. 
Um, but I just, I really enjoy it. Like the mental health aspect for me is a major part of it. So mm. I just, it's just a, something that I've always really liked. I hate running. I do enjoy yoga. I like yoga. I also really like um, high intensity modes of exercise. So, I mean, battle ropes I've gotten into recently. But yeah, I don't like workout classes really, mm. aside from maybe back when I was first learning yoga, I used to do that a lot. Now I don't really go so much anymore. But yeah, like. What is the mental benefit of like strength training? Well, it actually helps to make the entry of tryptophan into the brain um, mm -hmm. easier. And tryptophan is the precursor to both serotonin and, and melatonin. Mm. So it's actually just one of the ways in which exercise- Is that an amino acid? It's an amino acid. Yeah, okay. it's an essential amino acid. So we get it okay. in food and things like that. And it's the direct precursor to serotonin, which is involved in um, positive mood and executive function, things like that. They've actually done really interesting experiments where they give a cocktail of amino acids called branch chain amino acids right. to mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And these, these amino acids vie for the same transport into the brain as tryptophan. And so when you give a, a cocktail of these amino acids in isolation, it's been shown to temporarily deplete the brain of tryptophan. And what is the behavioral changes in the, in the subjects, actually, they start to act more antisocial, their executive function declines. They, you know, display uh, reduced ability to focus, delay gratification, things like that. And so that's how these amino acids can actually uh, reduce executive function and reduce the ability of tryptophan to get into the brain. But what's so cool about exercise is that exercise actually works its magic by causing your muscles to suck up those branch chain amino acids, thus mm. giving tryptophan an easier sort of entry route into the brain, which is really cool. What foods have those branch chain all whole, all whole proteins. Oh, really? Yeah, it's uh, leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, when you're consuming, uh, you know, a diversified diet with adequate protein, you're getting those amino acids. Really? Um, but they're the, you know, leucine in particular happens to be the most anabolic. So, yeah. in terms of promoting muscle protein synthesis, which is what you want after a workout, you want your mm -hmm. muscles to grow. Leucine is the, uh, I guess, the one that's been shown to be the most effective, but. Okay. But at the end of the day, I think new research is even showing that it doesn't ultimately matter as long as you're getting adequate protein over the course of a day. What about um, supplementing BCAAs? What do you think about that? Do you think it's necessary? You know, I don't think, I, I think the research doesn't seem to point to a necessity for, for doing that. And, you know, they are actually kind of expensive, but there are some people in the fitness community that swear by them. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a website that I became familiar with very early on called Lean Gains. Mm -hmm. And the uh, guy who runs it is a, is a bodybuilder and he's a big advocate of doing, he's a big advocate of intermittent fasting and then working out on a fasted stomach with the exception of taking branched chain amino acids before the workout. Hmm. So I've experimented with that. And, you know, I think that it, it probably helped me. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, I feel that it's, uh, you know, if, if all the other aspects of your diet and workout routine are optimized and you're getting adequate rest and all that stuff, then I think, yeah, it might be like a 10% push that mm -hmm. gets you to whatever your gain, your, your end goal is. Mm -hmm. But I think most people should probably focus on getting adequate protein and, and optimizing their workouts instead. Of doing something like that. Instead of, you know, yeah. spending their hard-earned money on a, uh, on a supplement like that, when again, those branched chain amino acids are found in the, you know, proteins of, that are, you know, readily available when you consume meat and wow. things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I can tell a difference if I take BCAAs sometimes or mm -hmm. I, I was like subscribing to that, but I can always tell a difference like in my muscle soreness. Like I don't feel as sore when I use them. Yeah. It's like helpful for that. 
Yeah, I mean, protein is, you know, the, of the macronutrients, the most satiating. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually this really interesting hypothesis. It's called the protein leverage hypothesis mm-hmm. that basically uh, posits that we, our hunger is driven basically by our necessity for protein. Because protein mm. from an evolutionary aspect was probably the most expensive of the macronutrients and yet right. the most vital. I mean, our bodies are made of protein. We're constantly, you know, building up structures, breaking them down and proteins are really, invo- you know, important for these for these processes. And the most uh, protein-dense foods that a hungry hunter-gatherer would be able to find would be animals. And yet we had to chase those animals. Mm-hmm. And um, you know that wasn't the easiest thing. So there's this idea that we actually eat the other macronutrients. We'll just basically eat until we get the adequate amount of protein. And that's why research has shown that protein is more satiating than both carbs and fat. Really? So, yeah. Yeah, even though that people now say that fat is the most satiating and fat turns off hunger hormones. Have you heard that? Fat, well, fat, I mean, you could say that fiber is satiating because it fills up your Mm -hmm. stomach. Fat in a way is satiating because it slows what's called gastric emptying, the emptying of contents of your stomach into your small intestine. So it slows down that process. So it keeps your stomach full Mm -hmm. longer. But I believe the studies that I've reviewed have shown uh, you know, they take the same amount of calories from protein, fat, and carbs, and then they do these questionnaires with subjects. And they've found that, you know, after consuming the same amount of calories from protein, that they're, the subjects tend to, be, tend to feel more full or less hunger um, afterwards. After having more protein. Yeah. And it doesn't matter whether it's animal protein or plant protein. Like, are you finding now that, I mean, I feel like a, the plant-based diet is something, at least here in LA, is really... Mm-hmm. Um, popular and people yeah. subscribe to it and it works for them. So like, what are you finding in your research? Like for this book, like, is there a difference in, I know there's a difference in the type of protein, but especially when it comes to brain health. When it comes to, I mean, when it comes to specifically brain health, I, you know, my perspective is that the vegan diet is, is pretty hard to defend because it's, it's, you know, it's hard to find any hunter gatherer community that adheres to a vegan diet and researchers don't believe that you know veganism played a role in the development of our brains in the evolutionary sense. In fact, they speculate that it's not just access to meat, but cooked meat that catalyzed the growth of our brains that provided this burst of caloric energy, highly bioavailable nutrients. I mean, it's the the nutrients that are found specifically in meat are really important for the brain. I mean, plants too, but. And then you look at the, you know, the research on dementia prevention. There's not a single study that I could think of that, that looks at veganism as it relates to risk for dementia, Alzheimer's mm-hmm. disease, things like that. They all include fatty fish at the very least. And it's less c- clear the role of red meat um, in, in terms of brain health. But I'm pretty convinced based on not trials necessarily and not, certainly not observational studies because it's really hard to tease out quality meat. Uh, mm-hmm. when you're looking at the population level because most people consume really crappy mm-hmm. quality meat. But I'm pretty convinced that red meat, when it's organic, grass-fed, is a health food. And I could reference a few studies. I mean, there was a really great trial actually performed out of UCLA where uh, a researcher named Charlotte Newman went to these underdeveloped communities, Kenya. Well, actually, the trial was in Kenya. And she basically ran a randomized control trial where she gave children who, you know, their brains are still developing these traditional dishes made of corn, beans, and greens. Essentially, she gave them, there were, there were four groups. She mm-hmm. gave one group the dish without any added food group. She gave another group that dish with added dairy as a supplement. And then she gave the third group uh, added beef. 
So there was like this traditional porridge with supplemental beef. And then there was a fourth group that served as the control. They didn't get, those poor kids didn't get any, <laughs> any additional morning snack. But <laughs> what she found at the end of this trial was that the children that were supplemented with, with meat actually showed the greatest cognitive improvement. Their reading ability, their math scores improved. They showed greater confidence on the playground that could almost be interpreted as mental health you know, sign of, of, of better mental health. And they speculated that in that study, it's the fact that, that meat is, you know, provides a burst of highly bioavailable nutrients that the brain needs. I mean, vitamin B12, zinc, creatine. Creatine is, is uh, an underappreciated nutrient where brain health is concerned. It's really? something that people that are in the fitness world are yeah, very familiar with. Mm -hmm. It's got a pretty robust evidence and safety record for its ability to improve exercise, does it have to do with uh, testosterone? Does it affect testosterone? Yeah, what is creatine? Creatine, it doesn't affect testosterone. No. It essentially it goes into your muscle tissue okay. um, where it helps to replenish ATP. Mm. So when you do really, really high intensity exercise for the first 10 seconds, like I'm talking about pushing yourself, mm. like in a CrossFit class or whatever, like whenever you really try to push yourself to your limits, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, that's gonna be different for everybody. But for the first 10 seconds, you're basically using creatine as an energy source. And then you switch over to using stored sugar in your muscle. And then pretty much that's why high intensity exercise can really only last for 30 seconds to 45 seconds. So it's like creatine and then glycogen? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. How long you use creatine for? Like 10 seconds? You About say? 10 seconds. Yeah. Okay. So what happens is you've got this ATP molecule. It's the energetic currency of a cell, right? Mm -hmm. And as soon as you go into that high intensity exercise mode, the first energy system that kicks in it's called the phosphagen system, also known as the creatine system. Yeah. And basically when ATP gets spent in the cell, it loses a phosphate molecule. So it becomes mm -hmm. ADP, adenosine diphosphate. So it loses that, you know, ATP is a adenosine triphosphate. It's a little technical, but so it loses that phosphate molecule. And creatine is just hanging around in that muscle tissue waiting to donate a phosphate. So before using any sugar that's stored in your muscle cell, creatine actually donates a phosphate to recycle ADP back to ATP. But its ability to do that is very limited. So you can only basically use that system for about 10 seconds mm. before you need to kick into glycolysis, which is when your muscle tissue starts using uh, stored sugar. This is why, this is exactly why for people that like to maintain exercise performance and do really high intensity exercise, particularly regularly, mm -hmm. you need to eat some level of carbohydrate to maintain that. You need yeah. to have that sugar stored in your muscle mm -hmm. tissue. If you're not working out so often, there's less of a need to. But for example, I mean, just speaking from anecdotal experience and what I what I you know hear from people around me, my brother does jujitsu, which is very high intensity mm -hmm. exercise, and he loves it. He does it like every single day. And he told me he once tried to do a ketogenic diet, and his performance in he was just like struggling. Mm. And you know, I can only. Just got to get over that keto flu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just I mean, get over that hump. <laughs> I, think, I think keto is great. Mm. But yeah, I we also, want to know what you think. Yeah, what do keto. you think? I think keto is great. But I also think that obsessing over keto and being in ketosis mm -hmm. and not getting kicked out of ketosis, I don't think that chronic keto makes sense from an evolutionary perspective, just as much, yeah. just as, much as chronically being out of keto makes sense. So it's about balance, about getting back yeah. to this, you know, this balance that we've lost between being fed and being fasted, being in keto and, mm. you know, being in a more mm. anabolic state. And then, sorry, and I want to get to like, 
an actual flow of our energy. <laughs> <laughs> um, quickly, for the creatine thing. So if you supplement creatine, then will your body use that creatine that's supplemented before it uses glycogen? Yeah, well, that's why supplementing with creatine has been... Is, you know, is well known in the fitness community for boosting your, your endurance. Okay, okay. Yeah, especially in high intensity okay. modes of exercise, okay. which in turn helps you lift more weight. That helps you grow, you know, larger muscles. Cool. Um, That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> gains. Yeah, I'm gains. trying to get gains. <laughs> um, I mean, okay. there's also a big hormonal thing there too. So like women, what? yeah. Can, well, like men are going to more easily grow muscle than women, mm. which I think is, you know, sexist. It's very <laughs> so you're sexist. Darwin. It's Darwin. Blame Darwin. Okay. That's true. That's well, wait, true. Wait, what are women using at Gold's Gym that I see who are more jacked than like most dudes I know? There's like, you can use like pills that get rid of water too. Yeah, diuretics right? they use like diuretics. Well, there's like also like really Steroids? Intense. Yeah, probably. Okay. I don't know. Like I didn't I mean, know if that was creatine. I yeah. was like, is that creatine? <laughs> <laughs> Could be. And women, like, I mean- Hydroxy cut? <laughs> there's like a huge range. Like, you know, everybody's different. And some women can pack on more muscle than others. And it, it yeah. depends on what you're eating and your goals. Everybody's different. But I think in general, you know, testosterone helps. Yeah. Uh, so. so if women okay. take te use testosterone or take it. Well, yeah. I mean, but then you get some- Do you inject it? Do they you, inject it? They, yes, they inject it. But then you get some pretty crazy Then you get like hair weird effects. places, right? And you like, your start, voice drops. Voice drops, things start growing that you didn't wow. want, that you didn't intend oh, to grow. <laughs> really? Okay. That's crazy. <laughs> wow. Um, can, you, can you take us back? I want to know like what, I know your story, but who is Max? What inspired Genius Foods? The whole deal. Because it's, we, we know your story and it's really inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, so I began as a um, journalist and TV host. Uh, I was living out here for 10 years. I was working for a TV network called Current TV that Al Gore founded. Mm. And um, I really loved my job. It was incredible. It was my first gig out of college. I got to work with incredible storytellers and journalists. And I had my own TV show. So, I mean, it was an you know, amazing couple of years where I was living in L.A., getting all the perks associated with like being and on TV. So many girls. Young Hollywood. <laughs> so many chicks. I mean, that's I like, damn. It was not a bad, it was not a bad life. And, <laughs> and I didn't feel guilty about it either. You know, I'm, I'm, I've always been a pretty conscientious person, but the fact that like Al Gore was at the helm, it, you know, the network always had this social mm. impact mission. And my passion has always been really to kind of like create content that was compelling and that inspired the audience to a greater vision of life, but at the same time was, you know, entertainment, entertainment first, you know, it had to like get to people. I didn't want to just create like, you know, what I call spinach content or, mm -hmm. you know, the spinach show. And so even though spinach is very good for you. Mm -hmm. um, what spinach is bland? Uh, well, some people don't, you know, some people don't like it, mm. but I mean, I love it. Anyway. <laughs> spinach show. So, so I felt it was like, I felt really good about my job. I love, you know, loved living in LA. It was a city that, you know, for as long as I can remember, I had idolized having grown up in New York City. Um, I never felt like a New Yorker. I always mm -hmm. felt this pull to California based on what I would like hear about it on MTV, mm -hmm. you know, as a kid. It's all real world. You're like, I want to be there. Yeah, yeah. There was a show, I forget what it was. Spring Break. Spring Break. <laughs> yeah, Laguna Beach. You in saw, San Diego. You saw Laguna Beach. You're like, holy shit, there's whipped cream and bikinis. <laughs> there was this Remember like, that? yeah, Carson Daly. Yeah, I like had to sneak watching that. Totally. My mom wouldn't let me watch that. 
Oh my God. I don't even know if I watched it. I mean, rightfully so. Well, it's spring. Oh yeah, MTV Spring Break. I forgot about that. <laughs> Probably had friends on that show, honestly. <laughs> Man, back when MTV, back when like we they all were, watched they would MTV. Rule. They ruled yeah. like culture. They yeah. were like the pinnacle of culture. It's insane. End of an era. It completely. You know? But- so you're the new Carson Daly. You're yeah, hitting became, mad girls. I became. So I it was a, <laughs> it was a, I I ended up on TV as a VJ mm-hmm. and um you know got to really talk about the range of my passions and my interests, you know, anything I want to because I had a nightly show and I was on TV every single day, I really got to cover the gamut of yeah. um things that I was into. You know, at the time I was super interested in music. I you know tried to profile my favorite singer-songwriters. Cool. I was into technology. I was really interested in how technology was sort of getting to a place where it was impacting health. And uh, I did that for five years. It was sort of like grad school that you get paid for. No, you know, very few people watched the network, but those that did were were pretty hardcore fans. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I learned a lot. And um, I left Current at a certain point uh, to try to figure out where I was going to go with my career. I was really excited. You know, my the first five years of my career ended up being really, you know, I had really high hopes for my career because I had all this press. I was really, you know, my network had grown. I was a very good networker living in Hollywood. I ultimately had ended up signing with a really big talent agency, like one of the best talent agencies that people in LA dream to even have get a meeting with these guys. They signed me right away. And I started going out for really big meetings for really big network TV shows as a, as a TV host. And even in those early moments, um, I felt there was a little bit of a cognitive dissonance because, again, my passion was always creating content that was inspiring, informational to some degree. And I was going out for like the kinds of shows that you really almost have to kind of sell your soul. Yeah. You know, you can reach a lot of people, which was kind of enticing to me because I had worked so hard at current TV to really not much much of an audience, you know? And so I was going out on all these meetings and my agent was like pushing me. And then suddenly in the midst of all that and like being really excited about my career, I was spending more and more time in New York City and more and more time around my mother. And it seemed as if suddenly from out of nowhere, my mom's cognition, her brain uh, had sort of like downshifted and you know, I was, I've always been in very close contact with my mom, even when I was in LA with the, you know, intense shooting schedule of a nightly TV show, I would still probably end up calling my mom every other day just to Mm -hmm. check in, ask her for advice, things like that. And the more time that I would spend with, with my mom, the more that I would realize that she was suffering from some kind of like brain fog. She ultimately began, began complaining of it. And we also noticed, me and my brothers noticed that she, something had changed in her gait, which is like the way that she, the way the person walks. Mm. She's a New Yorker. So, you know, New Yorkers are, you know, they love to walk. She never had a driver's license. And we noticed that her stride had sort of changed in a way that it became, it like became a little bit more compressed. And that was really strange. You know, we didn't, we didn't know what to think of it. I kind of just suspected that it was a sign that my mom needed to get to the gym a little more frequently. I had no concept that the way that a person walks could have anything to do with their brain health. Obviously, I know much differently now. But it all sort of culminated for me when we were in Miami. We were on a family trip. And this was like one of the few moments that my mom and my dad were together. My parents have been divorced since I was 18, but they're still amicable. And we were all down in Miami in my dad's apartment. And uh, 
we were all sort of in the living room. My mom was in the dining room, which is connected to the living room. And she essentially announced to the whole family that she'd been having memory problems. This is something that she really, you know, hadn't addressed publicly mm. with the entire family present before. And so it was a bit of a shock. And then she said that she had been seeing a neurologist. And we didn't know really what that was all about. You know, it's, I don't even know if I really understood what a neurologist did, to be completely honest. I mean, I had no prior family history of any kind of neurological condition. Um, certainly my family, uh, we've had a history with psychiatrists, mm -hmm. but not neurologists. And, um, and me and my brothers and my dad who was there were at such a loss that my dad was like, yeah, if you're having memory problems, you know, what, what year is it? And my mom couldn't recall the year. And me and my brothers chimed in, you know, because we were completely ignorant and we were almost, you know, mocking my mom. We were like, come on, mom, think about it. How could you, how could you not know the year? And she began to cry. She was really struggling. And ultimately she couldn't tell us what, what year it was. And for me, that was the moment that everything just kind of stopped. Like it was like a record screeching. And um, I realized that I had to sort of step in and validate the observations that me and my brother had had and go with my mom to these appointments and see what the hell was going on. So I ended up going back to LA after that trip and I was unable to think about anything other than what was going on with my mom. And I began, you know, in that, in that moment to begin researching health and neurology and, you know, my bias towards health and nutrition really kind of gave me this hunch that there had to be something in her diet that was related to um, what my mom was experiencing. And so I started doing this research. I lost interest in my career. I continued to go on these, you know, meetings and auditions that my agency had set me up with, but they could tell that I wasn't interested and I was not really, I just wasn't into it. Ultimately, my agency dropped me and uh, I started spending more time in New York going with my mom to these doctor's appointments. And we ultimately ended up going to the Cleveland Clinic to try to find some semblance of a, of a diagnosis because my mom's symptoms didn't fit neatly into any one label. And so despite having gone to NYU, Columbia, it was still unclear as to what my mom might've had. And it was at the Cleveland Clinic that for the first time my mom was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease. She was prescribed drugs for Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease. And you know, that moment in Miami was pretty hard. That was a, a shift for me in terms of, you know, just drawing a line in the sand and really getting me to focus on trying to understand what was going, my, going on with my mom. It, it really motiv motivated me to step in. But when my mom got that diagnosis and when I started Googling what those pills were for and seeing terms like, you know, no disease modifying ability, blah, 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 Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. It was basically the first time in my life that I'd ever had a panic attack. Mm. And um, I just became obsessed from that point forward with learning everything I possibly could about nutrition, lifestyle, how it affects brain function, how it mediates risk for neurological disease, things like that. It didn't ever occur to me that, uh, you know, that not, not being a medical doctor or a PhD, you know, made me any less entitled to the answers that I was seeking. I just dug into the, what's called the primary liter literature um, you know, having a background in journalism, I knew how to pick my sources. I knew how to ask questions and maintain, you know, a sense of skepticism, which I think you have to, 
you know, as a, as a scientist. And that was, you know, that began six years ago and it's a journey that continues to today. And, uh, you know, since then I've interviewed dozens of the top researchers in the field. I've read, you know, at least a thousand uh, scientific papers. I've become actually colleagues with some of the researchers that I've interviewed, you know, ultimately being able to participate in research. And even I've had the ability to teach doctors and uh, medical students, which is incredible. I recently shot a video series for Academic CME, which is Continuing Medical Education. I'm a health and science journalist for Medscape. So I reach hundreds of thousands of doctors around the world. And it's been really incredible. You know, I have no formal background in nutrition, but I'm just completely obsessed with it and obsessed with not only understanding it, but communicating the science responsibly and effectively. Mm-hmm. Like I'm equally obsessed with that, like the, the verbiage that one needs to use when communicating these ideas. And I think that's why these researchers have embraced me in return. How is your mom? She's okay, but uh, I mean, to be honest, dementia is horrible. It's been a major stress in my family. It's changed her. You know, we don't have conversations like we used to. Um, Does she remember you? Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't have Alzheimer's disease. She has okay. a more niche form of dementia, which mm-hmm. is, you know, better or worse. I'm not. I'm not really sure. It's a less studied variant of dementia, but but dementia is horrible. So I, you know, I sort of stand there with. You know, all the, I'm not a caregiver, but, you know, a lot of people, not a single person that I encounter doesn't have some kind of experience with dementia, Alzheimer's disease, things like that. And, you know, it's hard. It's considered a caregiver's disease because it's just, mm. um, you know, which is, I don't think a fully uh, doesn't really pay due to the patient because I'm sure it's hard for the patient. But, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's difficult. And, Alzheimer's disease, one of the things that shocked me the most is that Alzheimer's disease actually begins in the brain 30 to 40 years before the first symptom. It's unclear what, you know, where the etiology of other neurological conditions really is, you know, but Parkinson's disease too begins in the brain far earlier than the presentation of symptoms. So for me, it became very much a millennial issue, you know, something that younger people need to be talking about. And I just decided to stand up and be like, you know, this is something that like, we have a choice and this is something that we need to be talking about. And, you know, once you've got the, once symptoms emerge, I mean, it's a really difficult disease to treat. So um, knowing that our generation has invested so much in human capital, more than any previous generation, um, it became something to me that was like, it was just a really strong call to action. And in tandem with that, you know, millennials tend to, first of all, people think of dementia as an old person's disease, which it's not. It begins in the brain, as I said, decades before the first symptom, like many chronic diseases that are burdening society. So these are not things that when you have a heart attack, you know, what, what inevitably caused that heart attack didn't begin the night before you having a heart attack. These are processes that take a very long time to develop in the body. The other thing is that doctors are not experts when it comes to nutrition. Mm. So when you go to see a doctor asking for nutritional advice there you know there's it takes on average 17 years for what's discovered in science to be put into day-to-day clinical practice so there's this huge lag time millennials don't care about dementia they're not attuned to dementia related content so i'm like okay what do i need to do to make this a talking point for young people and that's kind of how i came up with the idea for for writing genius foods so when you were researching did you take a look at what your mom had been Eating, consuming, like was it was it that 
deep. Yeah, why did you think about food first? It's interesting to me. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like our generation was like maybe the first that's correlating food to, um, you know, the cause for like disease. Yeah. So I'm surprised that like even six years ago, you saw food as a correlation rather than I felt like what we were taught to do would be look at, you know, maybe research around it and kind genetics, of hand it over to the yeah. genetics or hand it over to pharmaceutical companies and kind of have them figure out like what we should do. Yeah. So why did you go to food first? That's a good question. So at the exact moment that my mom started to de- de- decline and for a couple of years after that, my her mother was still alive. So my maternal mm. grandmother lived until 96 and cognitively, my grandma was sharp. Mm. So there, and she lived with my mom. So there was this hmm. moment for me. Well, there were multiple moments, but there was this period that was particularly heartbreaking for me because I would be in my mom's house and I would see my grandmother, who was ninety six, unable to walk, decrepit, old, the picture of aging, cognitively sharper than my mother, her daughter, which was just insane. My mom needed to have a caregiver at the same time that my grandmother was alive and was basically still watching the stock market. So I had a hunch that something had to have changed between my grandmother's generation and my mother's generation that led to my mom developing this disease. And if you just look at the environment around you, I mean, it's very obvious, you know, what has changed. Our diets and our lifestyles. Our genes certainly haven't changed. And my grandmother, because she didn't have dementia, it was clear to me that there wasn't a genetic, you know, that what, that what my mom had wasn't determined by her genes. It was perhaps influenced by her genes, but it certainly wasn't, uh, you know, one of these conditions that is determined by, you know, inheritance. And so I just started looking into my mom's diet and questioning all the things that I saw her eating and not eating growing up. And just the paradigm that I had in my head for what nutrition really was. And I realized that, you know, a lot of the nutritional information that we've been spoon fed over the past couple of decades really was not built on any kind of solid science. And it just, I think, was the detriment to her health in in many ways. I mean, I'm not putting the blame solely on diet. You know, I mean, they're, they're, I could point fingers at the way that my mom lived her life too. She didn't really have a, a good way of dealing with stress. She probably had a relationship with her mother and her children that was a little too codependent. You know, she never, and like many in her generation, didn't value exercise the way that we do. They didn't have private gyms. Mm-hmm. You know, working out wasn't a lifestyle the way that it is, the way mm-hmm. that it is now. But on the other hand, I believe that she was poisoned by her food supply. And I think that people today continue to be poisoned by the food supply. Our dietary guidelines are not based on any solid evidence. Um, and it's getting a little bit better, thankfully. But, you know, for example, you can look at grains, which uh, get a bad rap today. But when you just talk strictly in terms of evidence, you know, our USDA MyPlate, which is the successor to the food pyramid, which for decades advised us to eat six to 11 servings of grains every single day, still advises us that for health, we've got to include grains at every meal. But when you look at research, like what was published by Cochrane, which is uh, an organization that is known for their unbiased systematic reviews of medical literature in partnership with the World Health Organization, they looked at all randomized control trials, which are the kinds of trials required to prove cause and effect involving grains as an intervention. And they could find no convincing evidence that grains actually improve health. So we're told that grains, that we need to eat them to be healthy. Mm-hmm. And yet there's no evidence. 
Yeah, heart health. As if heart disease is caused by a deficiency of oatmeal. Totally. Right? It's not. And that's clear. But then when you look at the economics of the issue, I mean, when you, if you were to fly over the United States, what you might notice is that 65% of the U.S. planted landmass mm-hmm. is dedica- dedicated to growing wheat, corn, and soy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're dedicating a huge amount. And then the of, government subsidizes it. Exactly. Yeah. And how much of our planted landmass is dedicated to growing vegetables? 5%. Wow. Right. Huh? Yeah. It's mind-blowing. It's wow. mind-blowing. So what were you seeing specifically that your mom was eating or not eating mm-hmm. that could have contributed to her dementia? Well, I grew up eating margarine. Mm. I, in oh, fact, yeah, classic. Yeah. Well, it's I, classic. it's a classic. I, in fact, um, was f- what's the difference between margarine and butter? Yeah. It's margarine just fake shit, right? It's fake shit. It's just yeah. fake shit. It's like, Oil. I can see my aunt. Isn't it Do you guys want some margarine? It's. Oh, yeah. I was like, can't believe it's not butter. I'm like, it's (laughs) not butter. It's good for you. It's the worst. Sprayed it on my toast. (laughs) It's horrible. It's literally manufactured for pennies. You know, it's this Mm. oil that's basically cost these manufacturers nothing and squeezed into these yellow tubs Mm. and sold for $5 at the health food section of the supermarket. Literally, it's just, it's the most processed, inflammatory, yeah, damaging crap. And, um, and that's what I grew up with. In fact, I actually preferred the taste of margarine because mm-hmm. in the margarine in my house, my mom would buy salted margarine and unsalted butter mm-hmm. because of, co- of course she thought that salt was bad for you because yes. that's what we're told. Mm-hmm. And so I used to love to put margarine on my, t- on my toast and mm-hmm. oh my God, it was so delicious. But we now know that margarine is you know, incredibly bad for you. Created. Is it partially hydrogenated oils? Is that is it hydrogenated oils, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Well, formerly, but now those oils, thankfully, have been actually outlawed. Yeah. But But still, but that doesn't make these oils any... I mean, they make them marginal, marginally less bad for you mm-hmm. because trans fats are, I mean, probably some of the most toxic substances you can consume. Mm. But what's important to know is that these oils actually naturally contain trans fats. So even without having gone through that process of hydrogenation, the processing that is needed to create these oils and make them tasteless and odorless and have such a high smoke point literally creates trans fats it's due to the uh, one of the processes called the, de- the deodorization process. So you can go to organic non-GMO canola oil, probably canola oil sold at Whole Foods, right? And they've shown that there's up to 5% trans fats in those oils, even though the bottle will never say that they contain trans fats because they're produced in the manufacturing process and it's not due to hydrogenation. So yeah, I grew up eating that. I grew up um, never eating uh, eggs. I never saw my mom eating eggs because of the cholesterol and the yolks, which she believed were bad for her heart. She believed that, of course, because that's what the government told her. Um, And my mom was always very attuned to heart health because her father died of of heart disease. Mm. So all of the recommendations... um, you know, that, that she was essentially given by the government, by the mass media at the time, she adhered to. Always low fat, you know, or dinner often for me consisted of like spaghetti, wheat-based spaghetti with, you know, margarine um, or pesto, but like commercial pesto made with mm-hmm. canola oil. And, uh, and yeah, at the same time, she never believed that eating white flour was anything but healthy because it had no fat and no cholesterol. So, you know, we grew up on bagels, um, black yeah. and white cookies, pastries, things yeah. like that. Yeah. I used to have like two bagels after school. Oh yeah, easy. 
two bagels would be like, oh, it's low fat. And I would my lunch would be like bagel. white. Yeah. Plain bagel, french fries, whole, cream like, cheese. I would have a whole box of like honey bunches of oats for breakfast. It's crazy. I mean, one it bagel can have so as much sad. as… Yeah. It makes me sad. Yeah. I you mean, know, like it bums me out. That that you really enjoy the bagels and no no I don't miss, <laughs> no I don't miss bagels it just bums me out like thinking about like you as a little kid or like me as a little kid just like thinking that you're doing well and you know that I've always had that thought and sentiment that it's really frustrating when like people are lying to you mm-hmm. you know I think that the research is really caught up and now we're really starting to understand but it's really frustrating when people think that they're doing a good job or they think that they're doing well by themselves and um, you know subscribing to low fat or something like that and it's really just detriment to their health. Like I think about my mood and, you know, what I would have been like personal, like as my personality, if I was eating better as a kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, that's exactly what we explore in Genius Foods, Mm -hmm. um, which is the link between diet. Yeah. That was a nice um, on-ramp. It's a layup. Into into book promo. We've done this before. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah. So basically, I mean, just to sort of close the loop, I became obsessed with learning about, it began with my mom, obviously, learning everything I possibly could about the latest understanding of how diet and lifestyle contributes to one's development of a disease like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, and things like that. And almost immediately, I began sort of eating the way that I discovered in my research to be the optimal brain-healthy diet. And I did notice that almost immediately, my brain started working better because Mm -hmm. I too, growing up, struggled with executive function. My grades were never very good. Mm -hmm. Even though teachers always loved me, I was always in the gifted program. I always asked really, uh, you know, good questions. So teachers teachers really enjoyed having me as a student, but I always struggled with my schoolwork. Mm -hmm. And that's actually one of the main reasons why I didn't go into medicine, despite always having a passion for health. Mm -hmm. And when I started to really kind of like notice that because to me it was very noticeable. I went further into the research and I started looking at research on young and healthy people to see how diet and lifestyle might actually improve cognition, you know, decades perhaps before you would ever develop something like Alzheimer's disease. And there's a huge body of research that is just buried in the medical literature, but I think is uh, very empowering for people that just want to think better. And in tandem with that, I talk a lot about um, this new field called nutritional psychiatry, which um, I guess involves ADD, ADHD, things like that, but specifically looks at how food affects mood. So the role of diet and lifestyle in terms of you know mediating risk for depression and even serving as a potential antidepressant for people mm-hmm. with depression um, and anxiety. And this is, I think, pretty exciting because, you know, I mean, who hasn't dealt with a bout of depression. I mean, I think it's normal, especially in 2018, to be depressed Mm -hmm. sometimes and to feel a sense of anxiety, right? But we tend to think about ourselves as having had a moral failure, right? When we're depressed, like where did we fuck up in our lives to get us to this point, right? Mm -hmm. But really, you know, going just going back to the food supply, there's very strong evidence that what we're eating can actually be stoking the flames of depression. And that to me, I think is just really important, um, a really important insight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think about that all the time. I think especially for kids who don't know, but then also like our parents' generation and older, you know, Mm -hmm. I think, well, food is used as a comfort. Food is used, you know, as a way to feel like um, your home, you know, like Mm -hmm. you eat your favorite 
cake because it makes you feel a certain way when really what is happening chemically is that it's, you know, deepening your depression in a way Mm -hmm. that, you know, you can't come out of. So what would you, I also wanted to ask about alcohol too. Like, was that kind of a part of your research? Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I, drank throughout you my 20s. You were in LA. You were <laughs> yeah. a celeb. I mean. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about that. We all but did. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely drank throughout my 20s, drank a lot in college. Where'd you um, go to college? University of Miami. Oh, cool. Because cool. Yeah. your dad was in Miami? My dad lives in Miami, yeah. yeah. I've just always had a thing for warm weather. And, I love Miami. It's one of my yeah. favorite cities. It's the best. I was very drawn to that city as a, as a kid. Yeah, so I, you know, the research on alcohol is not super consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, it seems that people that drink in moderation have reduced risk for various diseases, but it's not clear whether or not the alcohol, mm. the ethanol, which is the compound in alcohol responsible for the buzz, is actually what's conferring that protective effect. Or if it's the fact that alcohol is just such a well known and, uh, you know, clearly observable uh, social lubricant and, and way that people use to de stress. So, I mean, is, Stress is one of the worst things, especially in the yeah. in its in its chronic form. So, I mean, insofar as alcohol is reducing stress for mm-hmm. some people and helping people feel more connected with one another, is it actually is, reducing stress? You know what I mean, like within yeah, a narrow like range, level? probably. I yeah, mean, it right? probably okay. increases stress when you're hungover, obviously. Okay, you know yeah. things like that. Sunday scary. Mm-hmm. But I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, but I think in terms of like lowering your inhibitions and helping you feel more connected to one another, I mean, I think yeah. it's pretty clear that alcohol has some kind of positive effect for some people, right? But on the other hand, ethanol is a neurotoxin. So, you know, it's not clear really what the what the true role is. Um, you know, you can say that red wine, for example, has antioxidants in it. I mean, they're they're there in very tiny amounts, mm-hmm. but but yeah, I mean, it's... It's, it's hard to say. I have definitely reduced my drinking. There was actually a study published that found that even mild or I should say moderate drinking was associated with accelerated brain shrinkage. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's, well, there's studies that are both positive and negative. Yeah. I think if you've got healthier ways of dealing with stress and you can mm-hmm. sort of get over yourself enough to be able to connect with people and go to a bar without having to have a drink and get over your impulses in that moment, I think that's probably better for you. You know, I used to go to a bar and not feel comfortable unless I had a drink in my hand. And at a certain point, I wanted to just, you know, challenge myself to be like, look, you're you're complete without that drink in your hand, okay? Mm -hmm. You don't need it. And you're just as interesting without it than with it. So just try- are more interesting without it. Some people, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but um, but no, but I think it's definitely a good thing to, it's a good exercise to just, you know, to go out and try to not have a drink. You know, have a, if you really need to have something in your hand, get a sparkling water with a glass of wine. And there's certainly healthy ways, healthier ways to drink alcohol. You know, make sure that you abide by the one for one rule between every drink, have a glass of water. I'm also a big fan of, um, putting a little bit of salt in that water so as mm. to replenish electrolytes. Mm. You know, yeah. alcohol is a diuretic. A you one. end up peeing out sodium. Yeah. Um, Talk to us about salt. So a lot of people think like too much salt is bad. Um, why is it good? Salt's really important. Salt is, uh, first of all, sodium is a nutrient. 
It's been demonized over the past couple of decades. Why the do you pro- think that is? So annoying. I still look at the label and look at sodium content. Why is sodium? You know? Why was it bad? Well, the problem is that most people overconsume carbohydrates. Your average American consumes about 300 grams of carbohydrates per day. Wow. And what that's doing is it's causing this ancestral hormone called insulin to be chronically elevated. Insulin oh. is secreted by your pancreas yeah. in response to there being sugar in your blood. And what insulin does is it causes your kidneys to abnormally hold on to sodium. Mm. So all of these people that are on the standard American diet that are eating way too many carbohydrates, for them, they've been given advice to reduce sodium, which I think is misguided advice because their, ki- their kidneys are already holding on to excessive sodium. Not only that, but sugar stokes your body's sympathetic nervous response, which basically increases your blood pressure. Um, in and of itself. So people are advised to reduce sodium because of the, its impact on um, hypertension or high blood pressure. But the advice really should be to reduce carbohydrate intake, allow your insulin to drop so that you pee out excess sodium, which your kidneys are very good at doing when you're healthy, and you know, eat, consume sodium as needed. Sodium is really important, right? So I mean, think about all the people who actually are now being put on low-sodium diets. They're eating way too many carbs. They're put on low-sodium diets. And so they're not able to season otherwise healthy but bland foods in a way that makes them want to eat it. Mm. So, I mean, when I cook vegetables like Brussels sprouts and kale and things like that, I'm eating these foods and I find them delicious because they're loaded with healthy salt, Mm. garlic, and pepper. They become really savory and delicious, right? I probably wouldn't find Brussels sprouts and broccoli too delicious without salt, right? right? (laughs) So these poor people that are told to be on these low sodium diets, it's just, I mean, it's got to make life miserable and it's misguided advice. Mm. Wow. Talking about the correlation between, you know, depression and anxiety and diet. So what I've heard is that it's, and I want to hear your take on it and what your thoughts are is that it, there's a correlation between like sugar. So it's like the blood sugar rises or insulin rises and then it crashes and that sort of leads to like mood swings and things like that. But what is the research that you found around food's relationship to um, depression and anxiety? Very good question. Um, so yeah. Thanks. <laughs> You're a pro. <laughs> so the link between depression and poor diet has long been known, but what was not clear was the line of causality. Like is, you know, obviously when we're depressed, we tend to reach for unhealthy foods um, to comfort us. But really interesting research, um, especially a trial, small trial, but very interesting and very important nonetheless was published last year out of Deakin University's Food and Mood Center that actually used for the first time a dietary intervention as an antidepressant in patients with major depression. So they basically took, they took this group, it was about 70 people, and they divided them into two groups. And one group was given the standard of care, and the other group was told to improve their diets. They all had pretty crappy diets to begin with, but the dietary inter- intervention group was told to focus their diets on foods like extra virgin olive oil, vegetables, fruits, grass-fed red meat, eggs, nuts, and seeds. And what they found was that compared to the control group, those in the dietary intervention group actually were able to significantly improve their symptoms of depression to the point that 33%, almost a third of the patients in the diet group, their depression was so significantly improved that they no longer met the diagnostic criteria for major depression compared to only 8% in the standard of care group. Wow. Which to wow. me is, I mean, that's a very robust uh, effect. It was a small trial, but statistically sig- significant, no less. 
and those S words. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah. And so that, that I think is very interesting. And there's also been really good um, research on various compounds that are known anti-inflammatories and their ability to reduce depression. So there was a pretty good trial. I can't recall the specifics of it, but um, they used a formulation of curcumin, which is a known anti-inflammatory. Right. Yeah. And they found that it- Is it in turmeric? Is it, sorry, is it anything else but turmeric? Uh, no, it's found only in, okay. in turmeric to my knowledge. And so, yeah, they gave them this, they gave these patients this compound and they found a significant reduction in their, in their depression symptoms. There was another study that I cited in the book where students with anxiety, they were medical school students. So, you know, I mean, anxiety runs rampant in uh, mm. kids going through med school. They gave them fish oil, which is also uh, anti-inflammatory due to the presence of EPA fat in fish oil. And they found that that coincided with a 20% decrease in their anxiety, which is, I mean, very interesting stuff. The ability of food to influence mood. There's been some really good associations with uh, probiotic-containing foods and social anxiety. So it seems pretty clear to me that our brains respond to the inputs that we feed it on a pretty moment-to-moment basis. And it makes sense. I mean, going back to inflammation, you know, inflammation is something that uh, not many people fully understand. And it kind of gets, it's sort of considered like a four-letter word these days. But inflammation is a very important response on the part of our immune systems to help protect us against a pathogen becoming a full-blown infection or a sprained Mm. ankle. You know, it helps us heal when when we injure ourselves, essentially. And inflammation is sort of meant by our bodies to be used acutely in those acute settings. Today, inflammation has become chronically uh, something that um, we all are experiencing due to our diets and our lifestyles. But again, it's really meant as this sort of helpful mechanism. And zookeepers are pretty well aware that when an animal has an infection, they display behaviors that are called sickness behaviors. They retract from the herd. They stop grooming themselves. They lose their appetites. They essentially it's thought that they extricate themselves from the group to promote healing, to save their energy, and so as also not to spread the infection. You could see how that adaptation would serve a a pretty powerful advantage, especially to a species as social as us, right? So now that, you know, so many people are suffering from chronic low-grade inflammation, it's not implausible that humans, you know, even in a a low-level way, experience these sickness behaviors at a subconscious level you know, less desire to go out and socialize and connect with one another. That's kind of unfortunate because we're, ex- we're perhaps experiencing these not as a response to being infected, but to the things that we're eating, mm. which is unfortunate. I think it's so interesting. Like our bodies are giving us answers and yeah. messages all the time. And so why did it take, why did we turn that off? Or why, like, it's almost like we can't get quiet enough to listen to it. And we're so dependent on, the medication and kind of other people telling us what we should do rather than like tuning in and being like, okay, so when I, when I eat a half of an entire pizza, I'm feeling foggy and I'm feeling, you know, like just really tuning in. Like, I wonder I know when that, I don't know if it ever was that, I guess not, but I would think maybe back in like hunter gatherer days, like they're like, oh, that didn't make me feel great, or I couldn't hunt yeah. as well today, so I'm lost? not going to eat that. Yeah, yeah. When was that lost? That's a good one. I don't know. I mean, I think you know, to to some degree, it takes a bit of discipline, especially today in the modern world when we're just confronted, you know, from every which way with unhealthy food options. Um, 
you know, there's this phenomena amongst people that, you know, it's, there's a quote that I heard recently that everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to die. You know, nobody wants to Mm -hmm. do, it's a metaphor. I mean, I don't don't believe in heaven, but I think it's a good metaphor because it's, um, you know, people don't, people want the game, the results, but they don't want to necessarily do the work. Mm -hmm. And on the opposing end of the spectrum, you know, there are food manufacturers that have well-paid food scientists that literally are working around the clock designing new food products that are literally meant to addict you yeah. to them. And so, you know, the modern food environment has sort of become like a minefield. I mean, going through the modern supermarket, it's a very treacherous place to, to, to walk through, especially if you've got problems with your willpower, which most people do inevitably because we're all so underslept. So it's like, it's a yeah. it's a systemic. Um, Did your mom have trouble sleeping? I don't know. Actually, she well now she does. Now she does. Yeah. But I don't believe that she ever used to. I don't. I mean, I, I sleep like a baby. Same. Yeah. I'm so thankful. I know. Me too. Your mom doesn't sleep well. Yeah. No, my mom doesn't sleep well. Either. Really. But I just always think about like, obviously it affects brain function, but does it affect the brain long term? Like like eating bad food would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, it likely does. When we sleep, our brains, you know, switch on these really important maintenance processes. So mm-hmm. by chronically depriving yourself of sleep, you're essentially not maintaining your brain. Yeah. Um, one of the most important things that your brain does, it's a recently discovered system called the glymphatic system, kicks on. And your brain basically swooshes cerebrospinal fluid throughout, cleaning it of these proteins that build up during the day and could potentially aggregate and cause... Uh, these plaques that build up that mm. are characteristic of Alzheimer's disease. And they've shown that on one night of poor sleep, there's an increase oh. in measurable um, amyloid beta in, the, in, in cerebrospinal fluid. Wow. So, yeah, sleeping is definitely, getting good, adequate quality sleep is very important. And it's also really important in terms of helping you rely less on your willpower and having greater domain over your behavior and decisions. Because mm-hmm. when we're underslept... That's we, so true. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. There's actually... It's very interesting. When you, when you are underslept, your prefrontal cortex, there's less activity in your prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. which is basically the hub of self-awareness and executive function and all these higher order cognitive processes, processes that make us human. And so it's a lot easier to... You essentially become like your reptile brain comes out when you're underslept. It becomes a lot more difficult to avoid sugary foods, high-carbohydrate foods. It becomes a lot more difficult when you're underslept to contextualize your emotions. Mm. I mean, if you've ever gone through a breakup, you'll notice how painful it is on days that you're underslept. Mm. Whereas on a night of good sleep, it actually, you know, you're much more able to deal with those emotions, I think, in, a, in, yeah. a, in an effective way. Mm-hmm. And that's all, you know, because sleep really is so important. Totally. Yeah. I want to dig into the book um, and what people who are going to buy the book can expect. Is it, yeah, explain it to us, kind of yeah. how it's mapped out. And then I want to ask some questions, quick lists for people wanting to eat for, you know, better memory, um, clarity, energy, all of that. So... Awesome. We'll get into it. Yeah. So Genius Foods, it's um, basically what I think to be the greatest synthesis of dementia prevention research, nutritional psychiatry, and cognitive optimization. So normally 
these topics are found in different books. In my book, it's all under one roof, so to speak. And at its core, it's a very powerful guide to preventing dementia based on the best available evidence and clinical observations that have yet to even really be studied. But also, there's a very strong component in it that relates to how you can improve your mood. If you're suffering from depression, if you you know have chronic anxiety, chronic stress, the book is going to give you very powerful tools to boost your resilience against mm. um, these sorts of things, which are so common today. I mean, one in six adults today is on some kind of antidepressant drug. It's crazy. Yeah. So crazy. Or sorry, a psychi- psychiatric drug. Mm-hmm. Antidepressant drugs, about one in 10 people are on, psychi- are on antidepressant drugs. And that number skyrockets for women in their 40s and 50s to one mm-hmm. in four. So, I mean, it's a major, why. major problem. Hormonal? I think, you know, I don't, I think that there yes. might be a bias against the hysterical woman, but I'm just speculating here. Mm, that's interesting. You know, yeah. um, well, I'll just give you, I mean, my mom, before her diagnosis and before her, you know, she was prescribed these, these pills, some psychiatrists thought that all of her symptoms were stemming from depression and put her on an antidepressant. And obviously what unfolded was much more severe than depression. But what they don't tell you is that these antidepressant drugs are impossible to come off of without serious guidance. Yeah. And I'm not saying, and I, I'm not militantly anti-pharma in the yeah. book in any sense, because certainly these drugs help some people, but I provide alternatives um, in the book. And I, and I also really highlight the evidence in terms of what the research says about these drugs and who specifically they work for and who might be better off cha- improving their diets and doing a little bit more exercise. And then the other aspect of the book is uh, cognitive optimization. So I don't really have a good term for that. I don't think um, that has really been uh, crystallized in the literature. I think it falls outside of the domain of nutritional psychiatry, but it's really about how food and various nutrients can actually improve the way that you think in the here and now. I mean, today, one in seven younger people between the ages of 18 and 39 complain of memory problems. And that's not cool, you know? Wow. Yeah. Short term or long term or what kind? They, I can't remember anything about my childhood. Yeah. What do you think about well, <laughs> might, be, might be repressing something. Yeah, that's what everyone says. <laughs> I'm know. like, hmm. Um, yeah. I think, you know, each of us, I think what's so amazing about being a human, right, is that we're each heir to the universe's most advanced supercomputer. Mm-hmm. Like the flagship product of Darwinian evolution, yeah. we each have for free. We're just gifted it at birth. And yet for so many people, our brains don't work as well as they ought to. Mm. And, you know, so in Genius Foods, I really hope to help people that are suffering from brain fog, um, memory complaints, things like that. Um, I highlight nutrients that have been shown in young, healthy people who are already believed to be at the peak of their cognitive prowess uh, can actually improve visual processing speed by 20%. Um, visual processing speed is really important for sports performance, perceiving a visual stimuli and responding to it. So driving a car, for example. I mean, these are all aspects of life that rely on visual processing speed. What if you can eat a bowl of kale every single day and see your processing speed improve? Well, that's actually, you know, the nutrients that they found to have such an impact, such a, a robust impact on this area of our cognition is are two nutrients, lutein and zeaxanthin, that are found readily in kale, spinach, yolks of pasture-raised eggs, 
uh, the fat of grass-fed beef. I mean, so these nutrients are, are out there. I highlight them all in the book. And I also, rather than just continue to beat people over the head with what they know that they shouldn't eat. I mean, that's all that's all in my book too. But mm-hmm. one thing I never ever want to do is talk down to my audience. You know, I think people yeah. these days know that sugar's bad. Most people. I go into why sugar's, sugar is bad for sure um, for any newbies to nutrition. But I also make it really simple in terms of just telling people what they should eat, you know? So I highlight what I call the genius foods. And these are, these are the 10 foods that in the book I highlight as having a very... Um, protective and brain boosting effect evidenced by literature and and just you know I try to make it really easy for people because the research shows that the healthiest people buy this by health the same healthy foods on loop you know this idea of like dietary diversity yeah. eat everything in moderation that's like the worst advice really? especially today yeah wow can we guess the foods I was going to and well, I was going to say like I, I just on the diversity of what you eat every day yeah. that was a question of mine like that's a good one you know they're definitely 10 or 15 things I always get at the grocery store and I'll bury and be bad or something like on the other stuff or whatever. But um, yeah, so the body responds really well. The The mind responds really well to having the same foods at the same time of day. It's not just that. It's... um it's the fact that the you know dietary diversity as a as a hunter gatherer was probably a great thing, right? Because there are fifty thousand edible plants around the world, and that was essentially the buffet that we consumed, mm. you know, and that ultimately led to the evolution of our brains. Today, most of our calories come from three plants: wheat, corn, and rice. And our supermarket aisles are lined with ultra processed foods made of these of these relatively nutrient poor plants. And we're eating them. I mean, studies show that 60% of the calories that we consume today come from ultra-processed foods. Wow. And so in the modern supermarket, diversity, I think, is not a good idea. You know, I think, I think what you really want to do is create a shopping list for yourself and buy these foods regularly. Now, you can cheat. That's not the end of the world. You know, like if you, if you go and you buy that bag of chips that you want or that, you know, pint of ice cream occasionally, like it's not going to kill you. But on the other hand, what I want people to be aware of is that these foods are designed for overconsumption. So, so true. and I've, I've been there, right? Like I've bought a pint of ice cream, um, the healthiest pint of ice cream that I could find. Mm-hmm. And I put it in my freezer and then I'll go to it occasionally and I'll be like, okay, I just want like one spoon of this ice cream. And then I'm going to put it back, right? Mm-hmm. I'll take a spoon, I'll put it back. I'll walk away from the fridge. I'll walk back to the fridge. Mm-hmm. I'll take the same spoon mm-hmm. and I'll eat more ice cream until that pint is gone. Yeah. Because these foods are hyper palatable. They push, mm-hmm. they literally send off the equivalent of like the 4th of July fireworks mm-hmm. in your brain when you eat them. And so that's why I think it's better to just keep those foods out of your shopping cart than to, than to put them in your cart. Because if they're in your cart, they're as good as in yeah. your stomach. And you can True. totally eat them. Like it's not a moral failure, but I just want people to have like, I want it to be informed consent so that you know what you're getting into. You know that these foods are designed for overconsumption. Can we guess the 10 things? Yeah, this will be fun. Okay. Salmon, wild-caught salmon. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Avocado. Ding, ding, ding. Blueberries. (laughs) Yep. LA, baby. Wow. Come on. Uh, Like dark leafy green. kale. Dark leafy greens. Okay. You got four. Okay. Kale falls under dark leafy greens. Actually, kale kind of transcends two categories, but you oh, gotta, so there's categories. Well, there's like two cat. There's two. All of the foods kind of represent categories. Okay. But I highlight the individual foods to make it like really simple. Okay. So I think you're up to five. Okay. 
Or four? Was that four? four. This one I don't four. know, but I'm curious. What do you think? Gee? No. Okay. I didn't, that's why I didn't. That wasn't my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't looking at you. Kristen mouthed to me. I know, so we don't like, like okay, nuts. Good. Yes. Oh, Boom. good one. Nuts are good. But, nuts. What, but what nuts are not good? Yeah. Let's talk about nuts. Well, you want to be careful that if you're getting roasted, that they're dry roasted. Usually, um, you know, quote unquote, roasted nuts are coated in a varnish of grain and Sh- seed oil oh, yeah. and sugar sometimes. They're sugar. Like my yeah. dad oh, always yeah. get those roasted nuts. Damn, I'm like, dad. so fucking good. <laughs> yeah. This can't be good for Dads you, Dads eat the best shit. My dad had the best fucking food. Cool I'm Ranch like, Dorito. He's like, oh, get me a bowl of the Cool yes. Ranch and then split it. And then the other side of the bowl. My dad would buy like baguettes. Oh, yeah. We like lived in Ohio. <laughs> he would buy fucking baguettes and bring them home. Wow. It's like- and yeah. spread like orange and red cheeses on it. You know that like fancy mm. cheese that was made of so good. Chemicals. Oh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, talk so talk had, about hyper palatable. Yes, yeah, we had hyper. five. We had nuts. Nuts, nuts were that's five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sweet potatoes, like some sort of starch that's good. Like yeah, like good a one. Yam or a, no? No, too short. Fuck. Okay. I'm perplexed. Yeah. Um, what's in your fridge? <laughs> Eggs. Yeah, boom, yeah. six. Good one. Pasture-raised eggs. Yeah. Yeah, eggs. What, what, what is it about? I freaking yeah, love eggs. eggs. I think I eat too many eggs. She, eats, she drinks them raw. <laughs> I've done that. You just want to be, you don't want to do, don't. you don't do that? I've, I've done that. I'm like, oh. you're a dude. I'm a muscle dude. Literally. <laughs> what are you, fucking Popeye? You don't, you don't want to consume raw egg yolks Spinach. are good. It's good for you? Well, they could be good, yeah. But raw egg whites, you want to be careful. They can it can lead to a biotin deficiency, which can mess with your hair, skin, and nails. Oh shit! I'm not doing that. Yeah, no raw eggs, <laughs> no raw whites. Um, okay, okay, so that's six, right? Yeah, but actually, it's interesting why why oh, yes. so eggs. You know, when an embryo is first developing, the first structure to develop is the nervous system, which includes the brain. So literally, an egg yolk is packaged by nature to literally contain all of the ingredients required to grow a healthy mm. brain. Yeah. That's I mean, so cool. That's cool. why and nasty. And, and nasty. And nasty. <laughs> cool and nasty. <laughs> but, but egg yolks, yeah, they contain literally, I mean, the most, ab- choline is so important and egg yolks are probably the best source of dietary choline. Choline's really important in terms of creating uh, neuronal cell membranes. Wow. Yeah, really important. And it's also the precursor to, um, it's one of the building blocks to acetylcholine, which is uh, one of the most important neurotransmitters involved in learning and memory. And it's actually one of the two neurotransmitters that is affected by Alzheimer's disease. Mm. So wow. eggs, very good. Very well, why oh, are wow, some, uh, like the Belcampo yolks are like golden. Yeah, like why are some Like orangey golden different? and then others you're like. Some are bouncy yeah. too. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, Just I know like what you really mean. like. You can tell the healthiness, uh, the health quality of an egg by how thick the shell is. Oh yeah! If you um go and you know get like a pasteurized egg, you'll notice that the shell harder, right? Yeah, I mean it's like so hard. You gotta it's like, like a really. Dino it's like a dino. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas a really cheap egg, like a conventional egg, usually they're white. Although I don't think that white has any bearing on the health. You know, color has any bearing on the quality of uh, of an egg. But conventionally, you'll usually find white eggs. They're the cheapest in the supermarket. Their shells are so thick yeah. because the chicken was essentially malnourished. Thin. Thin. thin yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thin, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, the eggshells are super thin. Wow. And um, yeah, and, and you'll also notice that the egg yolk is very pale in comparison. I to know. Like, yeah. And that's because of the presence of carotenoids that are found. Carotenoids. Yeah. What's that? Because they're eating grain? Because they're the chickens like that are pasture-raised are eating bugs. They're chowing down on grass. They're eating whatever chickens eat. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, whereas chickens that are fed the conventional diet are just basically force-fed corn. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm. corn has next to no carotenoids, if any. Um, but yeah, they get these from the grass. That they I didn't eat. know that when you crack an egg, and I always do it on a flat surface, but you should do it on a flat surface because if you do it on like an edge or like a bowl, the salmonella lives on the outside of the shell. So it could get into the egg. Damn That's how you would get it. Isn't that a good one? This yeah. is a PSA. <laughs> Listen up, almost 30. <laughs> Sorry, Damn. I had to say it. Wow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we're up to like- Eight? Six. I think, seven. no, we had seven. I think six. I think okay. six. <laughs> like, we can go through them all. He's like, you're killing he's it. He's like, get me the fuck <laughs> out of here. <laughs> he's like, I can't play this fucking game all night. <laughs> I like but it. But we like to win. <laughs> um, I just is, need one more minute. Uh, like an, uh, like um. Oil. Like go- goji berry? Oh, no, that's. <laughs> saying goji berries are like chia seeds or hemp seeds. Uh, well, like you, a seed. You were close with the first. The first goji guess. berries. Well, they're not goji berries. M- mo- um, I already said Elf- blueberries. Oh, you already said blueberries. Yeah. All right. So no, they were. Come on. Yeah. Not, no, Raspberries. No. I think it's no. That's the only berry. Yeah, it's the only berry. Okay. But again, that kind of represents a category. So, like, I mean, in the book, oh. you can switch it up by going for. Strawberries, which mm. you know, all berries Aren't are good for you. They're dirty all low ones, sugar. Though that ha- are like really, you have to be really careful about getting or you have to get yes. organic. Yeah, you want part make, of the dirty dozen. I yes, believe. yeah, yeah. You want to make all sure all berries. Yeah, you yeah, make you're sure. right because you're eating it. You're eating the skin as well. Mm-hmm. Um, good one. Okay, I think I'm I going have, through the I'm going through the produce aisle. In my no, head. I'm going through your your pantry, and I don't know any <laughs> others. Broccoli. Oh, that's a, but that's dark yeah. leafy greens, right? This is not a dark leafy green. Oh, um, what you've talked about, um, grass fed beef. Yeah, so you got two. Broccoli is one and oh, grass and oh, beef hit is, it. yeah. I think, is Boom. that all? Uh, no, we got two more, I think. <laughs> this is also a test for you. Yeah, so, it is uh, a test. No, yeah. literally. <laughs> okay, tell us the other ones. I don't want to torture you. <laughs> we got, okay. Well, you got to keep guessing. Okay, okay, okay you want to Okay. Okay. Um, we'll guess all fucking day. Oh, so we turmeric. Do- no, it's not a genius food. Uh, I mean, it, it's food. a genius spice, but it's not a genius food. <laughs> But, that's your book. That's your second book. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. Fucking <laughs> 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 a. Uh, you got sweet potato. We didn't get that. I want to say quinoa. No. Like, is there a grain? No. No. No, no grains. Yeah. There's no. There's no essential grain. The vast majority of the time that our, our brains were evolving, we didn't have access to grains. Oh. Olive oil. Yeah. Yes. Good job. Yeah, I was gonna say that, and then I was you were like, gonna oh. say, and you were like, I don't know about any oil, mm-hmm. but yeah. we have one more. You should have gone with your gut. Wait, girl. why? So olive oil, I haven't been using it as much lately. Use avocado oil. I use already, avocado you oil. Said avocado. But what are your thoughts on olive oil? Yeah. What? Wh- why? Compared to avocado oil, or, or just like yeah, avocado oils. oil has a very favorable fat profile. It's predominantly monounsaturated, but the fat profile of extra virgin olive oil is also very good. But the star, like the MVP in the extra virgin olive oil bottle are actually not the fats, but the polyphenols that are very high in extra virgin mm, olive oil. It's the okay. highest of any oil. And avocado oil essentially doesn't have any. So you're, it's a missed opportunity if you're using avocado oil instead of extra okay. virgin olive oil. Damn. I just do it because of the heat. Like, I guess you can like heat up avocado oil a little bit higher than olive oil. So actually, I don't know. I know. Yeah. I've heard that too. It's just funny know, to hear you say it. <laughs> I'm like, but Ex- like when I hear something, I'll always remember. I know. It. When <laughs> it's related I'll, to food, I'll never forget Yeah, I'm it. like, oh, Swear gotta to use avocado oil. So your last it. one's probably kombucha. Just kidding. <laughs> no. I know. What is kidding. it? Is it dairy? No. No. It's not dairy. Don't say it's funny. It's not dairy. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure I know the one that you haven't mentioned yet. Okay. Um, Hopefully, in your book. <laughs> well, I'll give you a hint. It's one of the. F- it's the only food um, of the Genius Foods that's actually uh, made by manufacturers, typically. Oh, interesting. Like produced. Well, I guess you could kind of say that. No, you can kind of say that extra virgin olive oil is produced, but. I'll give you another hint. People, people <laughs> tend to be <laughs> <laughs> people tend to be very happy about hearing this because it's considered like a treat. Chocolate. There you go. Yeah. Oh, good one. Yeah. I was like bacon. <laughs> dark chocolate bacon. I was like whoopie pies. Eight, what percentage pies, of dark yeah. chocolate? Uh, like eighty-five percent or above. Wow. It's um. I mean, the good thing about eighty-five percent or above is that for obviously there's less sugar in it, but more so. Then more than that, it's about the bar being less hyperpalatable. Chocolate is a pretty fatty food, and um, mm. you know when you have more sugar in that bar, it just tilts that scale. Where at a certain point, there's the combination of sugar and fat, and the bar becomes something that you just want to consume the whole bar. Yeah. Whereas an eighty-five percent or a ninety percent bar, you know, you get that chocolate taste, but it's you know you're satiated after one square, two squares. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Word. Wow. So what is what is it about the chocolate that is it for a specific mm. part? Like is it, is it the cacao? Is it the happier? Is it the I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's one of the cacao is one of the top sources of polyphenols. Mm. Um, so it's really dense in these compounds that uh, are really beneficial in terms of gut bacteria. Mm. They make them very happy, those little critters that live in your large intestine, um, which we now know is intricately related. Uh, to healthy brain function, although the details have yet to sort of be unraveled by science, but it's the gut-brain axis. Mm. And so, you know, chocolate is a really rich source of these polyphenols. Um, it's one of the top sources of magnesium, actually, which is wow. very important. 50% of people don't consume enough magnesium. Wow. And magnesium is this really important mineral we need to consume a fairly large amount of every single day. It's called a macro mineral for that reason, um, along with sodium. You know, it's something that we really need to you know, almost today go out of our way to uh, consume an adequate amount of, and it's so important in the body. It's involved in everything from DNA repair to energy generation. And, cho- you know, if it's as easy as eating a little bit more dark chocolate, why not? And then it's also, you know, there in chocolate, there are these flavanols, which are fall under the umbrella of polyphenols, but they've been shown in various trials to actually boost everything from working memory to athletic performance. Mm. So... Um, very powerful stuff. Speaking of like athletes, do you think that like there's a possibility? Because I just remember like, you know, athletes, would, they would get like pizzas after their, you know, <laughs> yeah. after their games. And, you know, there's really not this connection between nutrition and training them at yeah. like a collegiate level. I like know it's happening with is. Tom Brady a little bit with what he's kind mm-hmm. of doing with his meal stuff. But and a sort lot of, of people in the NBA are actually going plant-based. Yeah. Interesting. Some some are doing keto. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but the thing is, when you're a professional athlete, you have a much greater ability to dispose of glucose, essentially. I mean, yeah. first of all, you've got yeah. more skeletal muscle. muscle. Mass, you're yeah. well-trained. Mm-hmm. And after a workout, your muscles essentially pull sugar from the blood. So, I mean, if you're working out at the level of a professional athlete, yeah, you can get away with having some pizza. That's not yeah. to say that right. you can still suffer the ultimate consequences of having chronically elevated insulin throughout yeah. the day. I'm thinking like the brain... T- function though. Absolutely. Too, well, know? absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, 
in the post-workout window, you require less insulin by your pancreas to essentially clear the same number of carbohydrates because of something called insulin-independent glucose uptake. Your, your muscles basically become a sponge, whereas normally your pancreas secretes insulin to basically push glucose into your muscle tissue, into your liver, and into your fat tissue. But in the post-workout window, and if you're exercising really intensely, constantly, you have a greater ability to push that uh, sugar into a functional and beneficial place, i.e. your muscle, to help mm. you power you through your next workout with less of a requirement of insulin. So you're actually stimulating insulin less. But hmm. that doesn't make these foods, um, you know, especially you know, when talking about pizza and things like that, good for you. Yeah. It's just that these athletes have sort of a, a greater, I guess, leeway to... Um, to, to cope with them at the, you know, on a physiological level. Yeah. For most people, you know, after a workout, I think that's the best time to consume sweet fruit, a sweet potato, a brown mm -hmm. rice bowl. If you, you know, are just waking up first thing in the morning and you eat a dense source of carbohydrate, that's probably not a very good idea. Because mm. you're depleted glycogen stores after a workout, so you can replenish yeah. those with the carbohydrate-rich yeah. food. Yeah, when you okay. do high-intensity workout, you're basically burning through all of the stored sugar in your muscle. That mm -hmm. doesn't occur doing, during moderate or mild-intensity exercise. Mm -hmm. It's only high-intensity exercise where you hit that threshold. We were talking about this earlier, right? Like, for the first 10 seconds, you're using creatine. Mm -hmm. And then for 30 to 45 seconds, maybe a minute and a half after that, you're burning through stored sugar. Mm -hmm. But if it's not at that level of intensity, if it doesn't hit that anaerobic threshold and you're just doing aerobic exercise, mm -hmm. you don't use creatine and you don't necessarily use the stored sugar in your muscle. Mm -hmm. So if you want to be able to eat more carbs, you got to do high intensity exercise. Mm -hmm. So in the morning, what do you eat? What do you yeah, what's, a day, what's your daily food? Like, what's your food diary? Well, first thing in the morning, I don't eat anything. So yeah, I, so do you intermittent fast? I wanted to ask about fasting. I do. But a lot of people these days get ca caught up over the hours. Like, do you do 16 hours? Do you do 12 hours? I say, you know, let's just like simplify this and don't eat for an hour, two or three after you wake up. Don't eat for two to three hours before you go to sleep. Mm -hmm. so essentially extends the fast that you endure every night when you go to sleep. And one of the reasons that that's beneficial is that when you wake up first thing in the morning, your body is in a fat-burning state already. You've been fasted for you know eight hours, mm -hmm. if not longer. Your insulin is at its basal level. It's like the le level at its lowest that it's going to be throughout the day before you start eating. And in the early morning window, just after arising, you have a spike of cortisol. That's you know the natural circadian. Um, inclination of cortisol is to spike just after you wake up as a means of liberating stored energy in your body to give you the energy to go out and seize the day. It's sort of like your body's own biological caffeine. Mm. And that essentially is a fat-burning hormone. Cortisol is the body's chief catabolic hormone. So it's liberating stored fats. It's liberating stored sugars from your liver. It's, um, it's really powerful as a fat-burning mechanism. So, I mean, working out fasted, it's a great way to burn fat. And you also have the added benefit of the fact that when you sleep, that's when another hormone in your body called growth hormone becomes sharply elevated. And that continues to stay elevated so long as you're mm. fasting. Um, in fact, 24 hours of fasting can cause growth hormone to become uh, elevated by about 2,000%. Wow. And the role of growth hormone is to preserve lean mass in a fasted state. So in that morning window, you know, you've got cortisol doing what it does best, liberating these stored sugars and fats. And uh, the only way to really interfere with that is to 
consume a standard American breakfast first thing in the morning. So I like to let cortisol continue to do its job. I'll eat, you know, and cortisol stays elevated, you know, for about 45 minutes after you wake up. So it's not that long of a window. I mean, by the time you check your email, check your social media, pee, I mean, cortisol is probably already on its way down. Mm. Um, it's one of the hormones that actually like wakes you up. And so after that, then I'll eat something and I'll eat until I'm totally satiated. I don't ever count calories. Um, but generally one rule that I, that I have set for myself and that I um, set for readers of my book is that every single day you should eat a huge fatty salad. So just make that a rule for yourself. Every day you got to eat a big salad. And that's because, you know, when you're eating these dark leafy greens, you're getting a bevy of micronutrients that the brain needs to properly function. You're getting a, you know, a huge hit of fiber, which the microbes that, mm. you know, make up your microbiome really love to ferment. Douse it with extra virgin olive oil, which actually helps those carotenoids, those, those plant pigments, pigments become absorbed by you. You can't, if you're, you know, eating a salad with a fat-free dressing, you're not absorbing any of the most important compounds in those, in those plants. I'll throw some protein on there because again, you know, protein, very satiating, very important in terms of, uh, you know, promoting muscle protein synthesis, especially after a workout. Research, actually new research out of Rush University shows that people that eat a large um, bowl of dark leafy greens every day have brains that look 11 years younger wow. on scans. So in terms of reducing cognitive aging, I mean, it's pretty probable that dark leafy greens are your brain's best friend. Wow. Hmm. Bums me out. I don't feel like I've ever seen my dad eat a salad. Same. <laughs> it's like, I'll eat like a salad that's like a Chinese chicken salad. It's Same. like iceberg really? with like fried chicken. It's like iceberg. romaine lettuce. I know. I know. Iceberg is the worst. I mean, Iceberg's it's also, the worst. It's also not good for the environment because essentially, I mean, think about how what much is money it? is spent to transport, you know, iceberg lettuce, which is very nutrient poor. It's essentially just fiber and water. Oh yeah, that's so true. You know. Wow. Okay, so you have, sorry, so you have that salad and then what? And then I, well, it depends. So I try to, I mean, on, a, on an ideal day, I'll try to concentrate my meals into, I'll try to have two meals two. a day, mm. right? If I am snacking throughout the day, you know, usually it'll be dark chocolate, it'll be nuts, um, maybe some vegetables, crudite, something like that. Um, I mean, when you're eating those kinds of foods, it's totally fine to eat throughout the day. What I'm just being mindful of is making sure that I'm uh, keeping tight reins on my body's insulin production. So after a workout, I might have, you know, that salad might include some rice or a sweet potato, for example, if I had mm. just had a workout so that I can get that, you know, insulin spike, get those carbs into my muscle where it'll, they'll stay until my next workout. But then through the rest of the day, I'm generally, you know, eating pretty low carb. And uh, yeah, so nuts, seeds. Um, I've become obsessed recently with... Uh, it's a Persian snack. I get like these little Persian cucumbers and you just sprinkle some like salt mm. on the cucumber. It's actually like oh, yeah. a very delicious snack, even though it's super simple. Yeah. Um, why are they Persian? Well, they're Persian they're like, cucumbers. They're yeah. like, uh, That's they're thicker, right? But why are they called they're, Persian? No, they're really thin. They're super thin. They're small. What am I thinking of? Like little fingers. Yeah. Why are they called, oh, why are they Persian? I don't know. I know. Maybe that's where they're, they originate. <laughs> Let's dig on that one. Yeah, honestly. <laughs> um, so you said you stop eating like three hours before you go to sleep, two or three. Yeah. Okay. Um, again, that's just to you know extend the fast a little bit, but also because going back to the importance of sleep, our brains you know go undergo these really important custodial processes when we yeah. sleep, and this system is still newly discovered. We don't have 
you know, anywhere near all the answers. Um, but it's thought that insulin might interfere with that um, cleansing process to some degree. Mm-hmm. So, it gives me bad dreams. Yeah, I do yeah. too. I can't really sleep well either. Yeah, if I, I eat, eat too, too close. Same. Yeah. It fucks me up. Yeah, and there's good research on dietary patterns and sleep. Research shows that people that eat higher fat, low carb diets, and particularly high in fiber, tend to have uh, more deep, deeper and more rejuvenating sleep. They mm. spend, in particular, more time in uh, slow wave, the slow wave um, phase of sleep, which wow. is actually when that glymphatic system, which is essentially your brain's dishwasher, when that becomes active. Mm. So, so yeah, I mean, these are all the you know all the things that I looked at when writing Genius Foods to come to sort of some kind of unifying theory as to how a person might eat for optimal brain function as well as preserving it in the long term. Wow. Last question for me. Is your mom now abiding by Genius Foods? Does she? To some degree, yeah. but not fully. Um, when I first started doing this research and was so enthusiastic about um, everything I was reading and ketogenic diets and all that stuff, um, which are essentially very low carbohydrate diets that are now being studied in, in patients that already have cognitive decline as a potential intervention. Yeah. Um, that in tandem with like my own neuroses around nutrition, I tried to like, you know, I taught my mom and I, I tried to put her on a really strict diet. And, and that was a lot of work actually to do, to like try to shift a parent's diet. I mean, first of all, they're your parent. So they're not that inclined to want to listen to you anyway totally. as your as their child, right? But then dementia makes things hard, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um her her health aides, you know, are not trained when it comes to, you know, even nutrition basics, like one on one stuff. And at a certain point, um you kind of have to like teach and step back. Like I found that I would start to get upset, you know, after a couple months when I would like come to my mom's house and see a bag of chips opened or a box of wheat thins that she had just gone through. And, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't want that to affect me emotionally. And I didn't want it to affect the quality time that I started spending with my mom. So at a certain point, I realized, you know, people live the way that they want to live. Ultimately, you can lead a horse to water. You know, as cliche yeah. as that sounds, but you can't make the horse drink. And and the the times that my mom these days is happiest is when she's with me and my younger brothers. And so I didn't want to continue to just be the food Nazi that I could be, you know, that I was that I that I actually wanted to be because she's my mom. And I was like, okay, mom, we gotta like, you know, put you on this really strict dietary intervention. And the dietary interventions that are now being studied um, with patients with dementia are very like rigorous protocols. Yeah. The ketogenic diet, I mean, for a young and healthy person is difficult. Imagine taking somebody who's older, set in their ways, has dementia. I mean, it's an impossible <laughs> diet, even mm. though the research is very promising. Um, it's just really difficult to get somebody who's in that state to um, adhere to. And not only that, but diet is just one part of the equation. There's pilot level evidence that when adhering to a diet like that, and you really have to take sort of an all hands on deck approach, you know, optimizing exercise, sleep, things like that. I mean, it's a, it would be a full-time job for me to live with my mom and try to control her. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to, I don't know. I mean, I'm still building my own career. 
I care for my mom, but I didn't want to force any of these, these ideas onto her and affect our relationship in that way. And it's also made me really passionate about prevention and getting this message mm. out to younger people because, um, you know, these diseases begin in the brain decades before the first symptom. And the time is now, you know, mm -hmm. it's, not, it's not when you already have been diagnosed with dementia. You know, as John F. Kennedy once said, the time to fix the roof is when the sun is shining. Mm. So, took that one. Yeah, I didn't, I don't remember, I didn't, I obviously <laughs> can't cite him directly, but I heard somebody else cite him. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. And uh, I believe it. Yeah. Great John F. Kennedy. <laughs> well, I just realized you that, be like, that, that might have made me sound really quote. old. No, it's a good <laughs> How old are you? I'm 35. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's just amazing. So you've learned all of this in the last six years. Yeah. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Can you, um, last question for me, um, I, or I just want to talk about Breadhead. Yeah. And so what's going on? Breadhead, we're working on that. Love the name. You love a great it. name. Thank you. Breadhead. Thanks. Have you, is, is a certain, like is Netflix doing, like what's going on? No, we, um, we have a film. We have a locked picture on the film. We're fundraising. Um, so anybody listening that wants to get we involved link it. in yeah. a movie. Definitely. The film is great. We ran out of money, essentially. Mm -hmm. um, As you do. Filmmaking is very difficult. Yeah. And uh, we're now hoping to finish it and get it out digitally so that people can, can watch it online. I mean, we tried to do the festival circuit it was kind of a nightmare. I mean, some of the some of the feedback we got was shocking. You know, some of these festivals don't think that dementia prevention is a big enough topic. I'm like, what? Hmm. It's cool though, because that can be part of your story. Exactly. Yeah, it is a part of your story. Exactly. So that's what you add in. Like exactly. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm excited to get it out there. I think it's the most important documentary that's out there. It's you know vetted in terms of science. The researchers that we have span multiple Ivy League universities. The personal stories there. So I'm very proud of it. We're hoping to finish it. We're hoping to get it out this year. And you know, for anybody listening that doesn't that's not familiar with it, it's the first ever dementia prevention film. It's the first ever film focused exclusively on this topic and we've interviewed all the leading researchers in the field. Everybody from Suzanne de Lamonte at Brown University who coined the term type 3 diabetes to describe Alzheimer's disease to wow. the leading expert in gluten and autoimmunity, they're all in the film wow. and and it's not just one of these like online things that is just a bunch of interviews strung back to back. It's literally like, it's a movie. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm very proud of it. I hope, I was hoping that I'd have it out before my book Genius Foods came out, but it just didn't work out that way. And so- um, It'll come. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I'm very, I mean, the film is- the two projects are very complementary to one another. So obviously in a narrative- documentary, you can't get too deep into the science and the prescriptive level advice and things like mm. that. So it's really, it's story focused. Mm. Whereas Genius Foods is told like a story, but it's very prescriptive. It's a guide, you know, oh. with steps and sidebars and tweaks and breakdowns and plans. It's really, I think, very comprehensive. Cool. Can't wait. Yeah, Thanks. I'm excited can't for wait. you. We'll link it. And people yeah. can um, check it out too. Okay, where can our listeners connect with you? Definitely find me on Instagram mm -hmm. at Max Lugavir. Uh, go to um, geniusfoodsbook.com to pre order mm -hmm. the book, get some cool bonuses. Um, 
Facebook. Does anybody use Facebook anymore? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I'm on Facebook. Our community sure. really uses it. All right. Max Lugavere mm-hmm. on Facebook. And just say what's up. People can go to my website. I'm all over the place. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your yeah. website Max is great. Lugavere. Where are you where do you where did you say you lived before? Not that I'm West sending Hollywood, people. Right? WeHo? Uh WeHo and then in New and York. And then yeah. New York. Cool. Okay. And then the book tour is going to be like are you doing a book oh, tour? Yeah. Well the book comes out. Probably going to be out by the time it'll that be out. This yeah. Comes out. Yeah, yeah. So it's been out like a week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not. Really, I mean, publishers aren't investing in book tours these days. Yeah. It's all you know. You do TV. You do podcasts. Yeah. yeah. Cool. I mean, it's pretty much it. Okay. Cool. Love it. Okay. Can't find him on book tour. <laughs> well, I want to do a book tour. If you, yeah. If you own you a book should. store, yeah. I mean, hit you don't me need up. to do it at a bookstore. I love meeting people. Do it at a freaking grocery store. Yeah, like mm-hmm. have a meetup at a grocery. But like, store. You could. At like a like an Erwan or like yeah, a I would Whole come. Foods. Like, hello. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good idea. That's it, Erwan. I'll come. And you know our I'll friend come. Kelly Levesque? Yeah, she's amazing. Oh my she's god, best. She's awesome. Yeah, she's our she's our OG. She's our resident. Yeah, resident cool. advisor. So okay, we love you guys. Wow, this is great. Wow. My brain is about to explode mm-hmm. with all this good stuff. And I'm not going to freak. There's like five things list. I'm like not going to forget. <laughs> and now going to take with me to yes. the, like when I, you know, do my grocery shopping eight times a week it. like mm-hmm. I do. But it's it's like that type of, and, and that's what we need. Like our generation, that's what we need. We need like these sticking takeaways that we're like, mm. oh, okay, so we'll never have this ingredient if, if I see this ingredient I'm never going to have that or yeah. whatever it is like yeah. just these sticking things so I, I'm excited to uh, and it's important awesome. to think about you know health beyond just how you look and I think that our group has like evolved beyond that and it's thinking about health as far as like mental clarity and like 100% I mean that's changed my life like how fucking Chris just how you feel yeah. you know like yeah. we live in LA and it, you know but I, I've even felt since moving here that it's mm-hmm. more so about like okay how am I yeah, feeling. Mm-hmm. I think I've let go of how I look. Yeah, literally. <laughs> I'm like, fuck it. So as long true. as I feel amazing, <laughs> fuck everyone. Yeah, and then LA, we're like, hey, I fucking feel good. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, it's okay. my personality that shines. Okay, all right. Genius Foods, Breadhead. If you have money, um, let's help make this film uh, finish it. Yeah, like let's do I it. I love it. Boom. Max Lugabear, thank you so it. much. Yeah, you're the best. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. All right. Um, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thank you so much. We mm-hmm. read every single one of them. means so much. And then thanks for joining the Secret Facebook group. So we'll be talking about this in the Secret Facebook group. Yeah. And That's then we'll it. keep you posted. We're going to be coming to Chicago. SF. New York. Yeah. We're going to add some cities. Mm-hmm. We're talking about it, but we can tell you right now. Yeah. Okay. So email us if you want to be like a representative on the ground and help us with our event. It would mean so much. All right, guys. We love you. All right. Love you. Bye. Touching. And informative. So informative. We hear so much crazy health stuff. And I love that this is focused on, you know, not the vanity around it, but more optimizing brain health. And Max's story about his mom is so touching. Yeah. He tells it so well. It's just a beautiful story. So I love when we hear about people that are doing something for the right reasons. Yeah. You know, for the overall responsibility of responsibility to, con- to like, consumers. To the con- to consumers, to like our generation generation, mm-hmm. like to the younger people, mm-hmm. even kids. Yeah. You know, thinking about it in that sense, because, you know, of course he wants to help his mom, but if we can prevent this from happening, mm-hmm. I think it's, you know, something that need- people need to be thinking about. I think we you know, we can live so in the present moment, right? Mm-hmm. So in the present moment, YOLO. Mm-hmm. 
That's my motto. Drink, drink champagne and, and eat chocolate. Fine, it's great, whatever. <laughs> Chocolate's but, on the list. Oh, it's on the list, fuck. Let's serve our And French already. fries. But you know, it's it's also thinking about, okay, so if... The- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you're going. <laughs> I'm keeping this. I know. I'm keeping it. I think you should keep, we need to show people that I'm we're just, normal. I'm just saying like- Guys, we're normal. We're, we're not perfect, okay? <laughs> <laughs> we are literally on one. We're on Anyway, one. I'm talking it's been about a long night. preventative conversations. Completely. Of course, we don't want to look too far into the future, but we want to be thinking about how we want to feel in the future. Is that what I wanted to say? Yeah, completely. So we love Max. We are so thankful that he gave us Genius Foods um, to present a comprehensive guide to brain optimization. Um, So you get all of the nutrients, information in there, the foods that energize and rejuvenate your brain, all of the things in Genius Foods. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Almost 30 podcast. We love you so much. If you have suggestions for guests, topics, anything like that, please let us know. Again, we're going to have meetups around the country Mm -hmm. coming soon. Chicago and Toronto on deck. Um, Thanks for subscribing and reviewing. That's sort of how we um, keep in touch with you guys and sort of see the love that you have for us. So that means a lot to us. So thanks for subscribing and reviewing and thanks for sharing with your friends. We've grown from word of mouth 100%. So it's all because of you. Totally. And you can visit our website, almost30podcast.com. You can get all of our sponsor codes. Thank you to our sponsors for this episode. You guys uh, are the bomb. And, you know, we provide you with all of these brands, you know, Maybe it can be overwhelming to some people, but truly we love them so much and we just want to give you options. We want to give you discounts. We want to like expose you to brands that you might not know. So we love you. We love you. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Bye. 